Each week I talk with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com and we talk about the intersection of, well, just all to say like our personal economies and the businesses we are in and the business of life, the intersection uh, with all of that and who we are as Christians. And Bill and I are interested in Christians living authentically in every sphere of life. And so what does it look like for Christians to operate in the realm of business. Uh, so, Bill, welcome back. Hey, thank you. And by the way, I I just wanted to say thank you for your lead up in this first part. What a what an encouraging message that was. Because in the midst of all this chaos and all of this garbage that we have to put up with politically and otherwise, isn't it good to know that God is absolutely sovereign and is in control of all that is going on and is in control of our lives, and we can rest in His goodness. Because of that, I, I'm just, you know, thank you. That was very encouraging. Well, thanks. And, you know, we're uh, we're always talking to ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that Carmen might need a little encouragement on this front today, right? <clears throat> it is all good and it is all going to work out. Okay, so um, let's talk about David. Remind us where we are in his life um, at this point in the story, and then remind us, you know, specifically where we are in terms of the book of First Samuel. Okay, in terms of the book of First Samuel, I pulled this out of First Samuel twenty-four. So, if somebody wants to open their Bible and go there, they can read the story about David um, not killing Saul when Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. Okay. David is permanently on the run right now. Let's let's just remember that he is this the he is Saul's the the king's son-in-law. He has married the king's daughter and he has already been anointed by Samuel to become king and yet he is not king yet and I'm guessing we're 12 to 15 years into this saga of David knowing he's going to become king and trying to work with Saul and can't work with him and now he's permanently on the run and uh, that's where we land here Saul is just becoming for lack of a better term more crazy right and he just starts to do really wacky things and that was why I ended up writing this post out of 1 Samuel 23 and 24 saying you know Saul Saul is a, is representative of a government that is opposing God and how do we as Christians live in a government that opposes our faith and that was that was the genesis of this post well, and the word opposition um, is probably a word that has a wide spectrum um, in terms of, right? I mean, I can be opposed to you in thought and not actually do anything that is opposed to you. Um, and then there are ways that a government could be opposed to people that is genuinely um, repressive. Uh, and then there's the kind of opposition where, you know, governments do not allow people um, any freedom of religion you know, where there are blasphemy laws or where people of particular religious uh, groups are are herded up, interred, and, uh, you know, the government attempts to reeducate them. I'm thinking here about the Chinese and the millions of uh, ethnic Uyghurs who, whom they now have in what they call reeducation camps. You know, they've removed the children from their parents. They have isolated uh, men from women. They have totally separated families, and they are seeking to reeducate these people out of their faith and into um, you know, a belief that not only is communism good, but the, the the Chinese way is the way. And so that that kind of opposition is very different than the kind of opposition that we experience here in the United States. But we do experience what I would describe as a rising 
opposition to the public profession or the public expression of the Christian faith in every area of life. And so in order to be a Christian in your business, there is now some government opposition to that. So when we talk about the rising opposition that we face here in the United States, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I I think when you and I are growing up, you and I are both in our 50s. I think when we were growing up back in the 60s and 70s, most of the opposition that Christians faced was a result of trade-off decisions that the government was making to try to increase fairness in our society. And it just seems to me um, that that was kind of the genesis of where this started. Today, the opposition to our faith from the government is much more active. It's like, no, we really don't want Christianity in the public square. You can have it in your private life if you want to. uh, But there is there is an increasing uh, opposition to our faith that is active, both socially and governmentally against us. It's not just um, unintended consequences from trade-off decisions. And so uh, that is what we are facing here. We're not as far down the road as as you mentioned, like like the Chinese are. We're not going into re-education camps yet, but the day may come when in our free society, freedom will be defined as uh, not having to tolerate um, these extreme religious biblical viewpoints. And so we need to re-educate these people. I, I could see all kinds of things happening in this society in the next 50 to 100 years that are not favorable to Christians. So earlier this week, uh, Bill, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News was here, and she ran into Andrew Brunson, who spent a couple of years in Turkish prison because of his Christian faith and his uh, attempts to you know, share that faith with others. Um she shared with us what Andrew shared with her, and that was really kind of his surprise at how much the United States of America had changed while he was in Turkey for 20 years um, in ministry. And he really, you know, I think that because he had the perspective of that space and time, the the difference in America um, now from what he remembers in terms of religious liberty and freedom in the public square, out in public spaces, in public mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, he really describes as, as pretty dramatic. I think we don't necessarily see quite how how dramatic it is because we've been living it. We are the frog in the kettle. Um, but, you know, the Obergefell decision by the Supreme Court in uh, in 2015 you know, related to the redefinition of marriage, you know, that is a radical shift. That is a really, really radical shift in terms of the kinds of things that we as Christians can now express in all kinds of environments. People now lose their jobs for holding the view that around the world and all over the course of human history has always been held about the definition of marriage. And if you now persist in holding that view um, and you uh, and you stand up for it, you 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 in all likelihood may may lose your job if you are, um, you know, in the kind of job that can be lost, which most of us are. Yeah. Or you could find yourself losing customers if you're a business owner or losing top talent. Uh, if you're a business owner, there's there's real loss now in standing up for the um, biblical view of marriage, the biblical view of gender, the biblical view of of that, which uh, is really part of the most sacred part of our lives, which is our gender and our bodies and how we use those things. All right. So when we come back, we're going to actually uh, dig around in First Samuel 24 for the principles that we can take from the life of King David about what it looks like to live under a government opposed to your faith. Talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back. Woo! When I'm up, when I'm down, when the wolves come around. 
Continuing my conversation now with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we are looking at the leadership lessons that we can learn from the life of David living under a government that is opposed to your faith. So what do we? Uh, what are some of the principles that we learn from David on this point? You know, the biggest thing I think that we learned, the kind of the overarching piece that I took away after I wrote this, was how David treated Saul with respect and dignity and said, I am not going to go against and lay my hand on God's anointed, right? Even though Saul had tried to kill him several times, Saul was hunting him down to kill him. Saul had sent people after him to find him to try to kill him. When David had a chance to kill Saul, he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. He is God's anointed. And I just, honestly, I wonder how different our society would be simply if Christians, I'm not talking about those who aren't Christians. I'm talking about just those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. If we were to treat all of our political leaders with the same kind of respect and dignity that David treated Saul, to me, that is a lesson for Christians that we need to hold on to, no matter how rough or, or uh, crass or base the politician is, Treating them with respect, I think, is one of the things that we need to do as Christians. All right. It's one, it's one of the takeaways. Yeah. I, I, there's no, absolutely. Yes. Can, give, us, uh, give us another one. Let's move from that one to another one. The other thing I find is that uh, usually these evil, I won't say evil. Most, <laughs> right? That's hard. It is. That's it's, so hard. It's hard That's to so say. That's so hard. It's but, hard not to say. But those who are opposing us uh, will, will put themselves in a place of a law that they are the highest law, right? And, mm. that, and, that, and that their word is the final word. And we have to keep remembering that while God has put them in the place that they are in, God's law is still higher than their laws and that there is a law that is above our laws, and that that law is the one that we ultimately have allegiance to, we find that law, ironically, in the Bible. The Bible is an expression of everything we need to know from the mind of God in order to live blamelessly before him, and that is the law that we ultimately are to follow. So one of the things that's so curious to me in all of this is that, you know, at some point, at one point, you know, Saul is, Saul's government is not godless, right? Because he's with God. And then Saul's government is utterly godless yeah. um, because Saul is absolutely um, living personally in personal opposition to God. Um, and and Saul's thinking deteriorates to the point where he then not only starts doing things, but institutes laws that are expressly contrary to what we know to be God's will. That devolution of Saul's leadership and the government that belongs to him and the absolute loyalty he demanded of people, not only to himself, but to then these completely godless laws that he demanded be created. Like all of that is, is kind of scary because we, we see that happening. When you don't view, when, when, when you don't understand that there's a law above yourself, then you're naturally going to demand loyalty to yourself and your own laws. Because you become God. You're, you're the highest that you have in your life, right? There is no God. There is no other thing f- to which you are tethered. And so your self-preservation at all costs, demanding absolute loyalty to your laws, having unaccountability to the people that you're leading, um, 
really trusting more in your weapons than in God's provision and protection. Those kinds of things are outpouring or outgrowths, natural outcomes of of a, of a life lived without God. And that, and, and we as Christians are, are called to live in societies like that. And so how do we do that? And I think, I think the number one thing is we show respect. The number two thing is we show adherence and allegiance to God's laws. And the number three thing is we pray and we evangelize and we get out there and make connections with people and try to lead them to the Lord because the only cleansing effect in that kind of a society is a movement of the spirit at the grassroots level to bring about even a small revival. But to me, I, I, I don't know what else to do other than those three things. Okay, give us the three things again, because um, one of them is, is, is a respect for the authority that does exist. Um, yeah. But the other is sort of the active advocacy to change the rule under which we live. Yeah, but you don't do it by opposing. You do it by spreading the gospel and letting mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit change the hearts of people. I mean, think about how different Washington, D.C. would be um, if... If we had 535 people who were dedicated to God and, and, and to Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat here because you, we need Christians in both parties, right? I'm talking about people whose allegiance first is to Jesus Christ and then is to the law of this land. Think about how different that would be. Well, it would be dramatically different, um, and it would be, yeah. So give us those three things again, because oh, I think that when we talk about like our marching orders for the day, those those really all three really good, really, really good. Yeah. And I wish I could remember them because I came up with them on oh. the spot. I, okay, I, well, I, I the, didn't have it written down, but one was respect. One was yeah. evangelism and one was, I, I believe, prayer. Yeah. But, so we're going to have we're going to have first allegiance to Christ. Yes. But we're going to respect the government under which we live, because that's, you know, that's certainly what we're called uh, in Scripture to do. Um, we are going to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in uh, in very personal and dramatic ways to change the hearts and minds of people in order that genuine revival might start where it always does, which is on the personal level. Yes. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay. I have to cough, so say something. Well, you know, this, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm at a loss for words. I'm usually not, but today okay, I'm, I'm back. at a loss for words. <laughs> That's the magic of radio and the cough button. Okay, Bill English, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be human and for your friendship, your collegiality. Thank you for bringing us yet another leadership lesson from the life of King David. We look forward to talking with you again next week. You bet. Have a good week. You too. All right, friends, that is from 1 Samuel chapter 24. Good place, uh, good place to till the soil of God's word today. Hey, up next, Senator James Lankford. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. 